Hi, I'm Chris Colabello, and you're listening to Red, White, and Blue Jays. Swing and a drive! Welcome to Red, White, and Blue Jays, the podcast home of Blue Jays Fans UK, a group connecting Blue Jays fans around the UK and beyond and telling their stories. And now, here's the host of Red, White, and Blue Jays, Steve Hunter. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Red, White and Blue Jays. A very warm welcome to you wherever you are. And a particular warm welcome to tonight's guest is Chris Colabello. Chris, thank you so much for safely spending some time with us. I can see you're driving in your car. Where exactly are you, sir? I am in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, I just got back from Regensburg, Germany. And this is like, yeah, just let's... Let's pretend you don't see me driving and that I have my beautiful background with my Jays jersey in the background at my desk in my office. So let, like we can pretend yeah. I can overlay that video. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm good. This is, don't tell anybody, but it's my, it's not my first time zooming and driving. At the same time. <laughs> okay. As long as you're not getting in trouble, we're okay with that. Just be safe. Nah, so we're good. That's the we're good. Uh, also, I just want to welcome to the pod tonight is a good friend of ours. Uh, many of you would have seen uh, Dave on our live uh, pods. He, he was joining us tonight. Dave, good evening. How are evening. you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. I'm looking forward to this. Great. Uh, you, you'll pick up, Chris, that uh, Dave has a slightly different accent to me. I noticed, and I, I'm the only one that doesn't have an accent, so I'm a little bit upset. Uh, <laughs> should I, I can try my oldest snow if you want. <laughs> uh, I've lost a shoe. You must have an Italian accent you can do. No, I, I mean, I'd have to speak Italian. There's like, there's no accent. Like, I have to, devo parlare italiano, but that's, you know, I, that's showing off at that point. Yeah, I don't, that you know, is showing off. My, my Italian is very limited. I have, I have in your honor put on my Euro 2020 Italian shirt for you tonight. So, um, you know, just wanted to put a little nod in there. Um, nice. Great. Uh, I mean, first time, uh, I, you, I know you travel to Europe a lot. I know when we were trying to catch up and sort of nail you down to a, a time. Um, when was the last time you were over this part of the world? So it was right before the pandemic started. I was in Italy for a little coaches convention. Um, I did one right at the end of 2019 and then one at the beginning of 2020. I played the European Cup and the Olympic qualifier in 19. Uh, so sporadically, I I do get over there. It's just not as often as I care for it to be. Uh, yeah. Life has a tendency to impede. But um, I got to – it was kind of spur of the moment. Uh, the WBSC asked if we would do a little coaches clinic for um, for the Czech Republic team. Sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say I was rooting for the other team. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it worked out great for great britain but i actually had a had a good chat with a lot of people with the great britain team i know vance worley who's my old teammate played for gb and uh, i talked to brad marcelino the hitting coach and certainly excited for you guys and um get to play in a wbc which is cool so uh, it's an amazing achievement um by them obviously first first time in uh of course we've got a blue jays representative in there in terms of Jaden rudd as well uh, so i'm hoping to to speak to him at some point just to hear about his experience I mean, for, for you, obviously, you born in the States, grew up in Italy. Where did the love of baseball start for you? Was that when you moved back into to the States or, or did, were you 
sort of shown the, the ropes as it were when, when you were living over in Rimini? Yeah. So I, it was a little bit of both. My dad, my dad played in Rimini for like nine years and uh, ended up managing in San Marino in Italy. And the irony is, is when I was little, I think I, I knew I wanted to be a baseball player, right? That was, if you look at baby pictures of me, I had bat and ball in the crib. I was uh, very much uh, born to be a baseball player. Uh, the ironic part is I think, a, my dad's a left-handed pitcher, which is weird because who's left-handed, first of all. And second of all, like, I'm the opposite, right? Right-handed hitter. I wanted nothing to do with pitching. My dad asked me when I was, like, four. He goes, you want to pitch or do you want to play the field? And I was like, I'm obviously playing the field because the American League pitchers don't get to hit. So when I was all of four years old, I made a career path decision, which in retrospect was stupid because if I knew pitchers got to play as much golf as they did, I, like, I definitely would have been a pitcher um life's just way easier one every five days like hang out you know less stress just way better uh but no I, I loved hitting and and the other ironic piece is I think I I probably learned more about the game in Italy at a young age um Rimini is one of those towns that uh probably six in Italy that are just hotbeds for baseball and uh, the competition at the youth level was awesome I got to play in two European cups when I was 11 and 12 years old so it, uh, it all definitely led to my love for the game. And uh, most of my heroes and guys that I looked up to were playing baseball in Italy at the time. And uh, obviously getting to be in the dugout and be very close, intimate with those guys was uh, meaningful to my development, my growth as a player, and just seeing how they went about their business, I think, was uh, really important. Amazing. Um, in terms of moving them from... Italy across the states early career a lot of time obviously in indie ball uh, how how do your or how does it how does a player's dreams and aspirations grow in the hope that one day of, of breaking through to the majors and uh, you know you're 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 playing at a, a good level but not quite there yet what was your mindset through those those years when you were playing so much indie ball yeah, I was just super naive and I guess stupid to believe that I could play independent ball. And that was like a clear path to the big leagues. I just, I, I don't think I ever wavered very much on the fact that I knew that I could play in the big leagues or that I believed I could play in the big leagues. Um, I was also a realist and that, this might sound kind of counterintuitive because I, I, I paid attention, right? Like I think my, my best skill set in baseball and both in life and baseball is the fact that I, I'm able to kind of make adjustments to what's going on to get the thing that I want to get uh, or achieve the thing that I want to achieve. So yeah. uh, when I got to indie ball, I was playing with a lot of guys that had been to the big leagues, triple A, double A, things like that. And I just kind of realized pretty quickly that I had the skill set that I needed. And then it was just going to be about, you know, figuring out how to be consistent every day, figuring out how to take on the right approach. And then I was going to have to let the cards fall where they may, because the only thing that was really out of my control was whether I was going to get an opportunity or not. So um, for the first, you know, I would say three years, I was just kind of like, okay, well, it's going to happen. And then mm -hmm. after year four, I would say that was my best year to that point. I, I 2008 was really the year I kind of put it all together for the first time. And I thought something would come out of it and it didn't. And that was when I kind of started uh, not having doubts necessarily, but really being a little bit more cynical about whether I was going to get a chance or not. 
uh, with again with full knowledge that I, I thought I had the capability to compete at that level and it was just again going to be a matter of somebody deciding to give me a chance so um, little did I know I would be the Van Wilder of uh, the Can-Am League and play <laughs> seven years and then uh, and then eventually make it but I, I joke about it all the time I was like yeah I just you know <laughs> took the scenic route I guess <laughs> yeah so you also got your break with the twins then played minor league with them how did how did you get from indie ball to playing with them how did that come about yeah so it was really weird uh like my swing change is pretty well documented throughout the years uh my business partner best friend consigliere whatever you want to call him uh bobby tixbury who threw the home run derby to josh in 2015 and is pretty well known as like the swing guy uh in the world Mm -hmm. right now um, he just kind of called me one day and said, Hey, I think I figured out what the best hitters in the world all do the same. And I like laughed at him and told him he was an idiot. And, you know, basically <laughs> in 30 words or less, I was like, all right, dude, you're my friend. But I mean, you know, you, know, you hit 230, like you're going to want to shut up now. So, um, we just argued probably like seven or eight different times when I'd go up to his facility and, and work out and, and then eventually he showed me a clip of me and he just straight knew how to get to me. Right. Like just appealed to my inner narcissist. Um, he showed me a clip of me hitting a ball into orbit, like one of the best homers I'd ever hit. I thought that, I, you know, the ones that really resonate in your mind. Yeah. And he had introduced kind of some swing concepts to me that were different and unique at the time. And uh, I wasn't really like bought in, I would say. And but I knew the, the, the thing was that I was just at an inflection point in my career where I kind of knew there were some things that I didn't really do well, particularly hit the ball the opposite field, drive the ball to right. Uh, I was a very not one dimensional hitter, but I could hit, but I couldn't do what the best guys in the world did. Right. Like I couldn't leave over the right center field wall. And uh, so I wasn't blind to the fact that I could be better. And, you know, the swing change thing was kind of what I needed, I guess. And then I had a really big 2011. It felt like I was playing a video game. I was named Baseball America's Independent Player of the Year. And, uh, you know, at that point, I kind of convinced myself, like, that was really when I I felt like I I knew I belonged in the big leagues or to have an opportunity with an affiliated team. And then, um, you know, kind of started getting some calls a little bit in in the winter that year. And then... Uh, the twins thing was super strange because my agent, my current agent, my, he's been my agent my whole career. Um, he called me and this was like a day after one of my best friends that I played independent ball with, who was working an affiliate at the time. He said, Hey, I sent out stuff to 29 teams. There was only one team I didn't have contacts for. And he said it was the twins. That was the only team he didn't reach out to. And the next day my agent called and he's like, Hey, I got you a workout with the twins. And I said, what? Like, how is that possible? Um, but yeah, Minnesota was like willing to send somebody to work me out and uh, they did. And uh, it was kind of even weird how that happened, but uh, they sent somebody up. I brought my mentor, Rich Gedman and my swing consigliere Bobby Tewksbury there, which was the smartest thing I've ever did because the scout basically talked to Rich Gedman the whole time and didn't even watch me do anything. And Rich was like, yeah, he's good. And they were like, all right, well, let's do it. <laughs> so yeah. um, it kind of worked out. And then before I knew it, I was a twin. I, I, what was that like? What was that, you know, what, where was your head at that moment that you'd been working towards that, that momentous day of actually being a big leaguer? I mean, 
massive celebrations or was it did you just feel that that was your destiny anyway yeah i think it was more like the destiny thing and also yeah. it's something that very few people probably know is in 2006 i actually signed with the tigers with detroit you know all good like i'm thinking i'm gonna play with the tigers and then they cut me at the end of spring training so it was like i never really was part of it um when that happened i kind of like just assumed that was how things went you'd like i'd sign again at some point and little did i know that uh you know that thing didn't happen every day like that and mm. uh so I, but my only experience at that point was one where you get cut basically right so I, I that was all i knew i didn't i didn't know any better i didn't uh i didn't know anything more than just hey come to camp and get released so more than anything I thought work was just starting and i ground so um you know fortunately even though i didn't think i had a great camp i had an okay camp uh with like five days left they the, the double manager came up to me and he had this was per his quest arm director and said hey he made the team so he can relax a little bit and uh he did that and that was kind of you know yeah helped me I, I think just center myself a little bit and and really got me off to the races a little bit yeah we're just losing you slightly but we'll we'll, we'll press on and oh uh, i'm the, sorry the, is it coming so back yeah we, we can hear you video is a bit sketchy but that that's absolutely fine we'll, we'll carry on um and uh press press through so at the twins you got your first grand slam as well uh yeah yeah how how did that happen in terms of the game uh I, I to be fair i didn't look up exactly where in the game it happened but i know it happened you know with the twins what was that what was that moment like for you uh it was weird because i i didn't feel like i was playing particularly well for minnesota um and i put like so much pressure and stress on myself about really performing at a high level and and doing things the way I was capable of the, the way I knew I was capable of, let's put it that way. And uh, I started out pretty poorly and I wasn't really getting regular playing time. I was just, it was weird, right? Like it was the first mm. time in my life I woke up day. And based on all that, I was like trying to force things to happen quite a bit. Um, so finally, like we trade Justin Morneau and then uh, like I got an opportunity to kind of like play regularly and we were in Houston and I was a little bit frustrated. I wasn't really swinging the bat the way I knew I was capable of. And uh, I hit a homer early in the game against Houston. And then um, I came up late in the game and I was coming off like a strikeout and it was tied in the ninth and I just happened to be hitting with the bases loaded. And before I knew it, uh, I was just going to be aggressive. And yeah, uh, I hit a homer almost the same spot. So it was my first two homer game and I had my first grand slam in the same day. So uh, really cool, like cool moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was uh, it was special for sure. So. Brilliant. Did you get the ball? Uh, maybe. Uh, Wait, Chris, come on, it's your big moment. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I I'd have to check. So I have a bunch of balls with the little uh, authenticity thing, the sticker, the certification sticker. Yeah. And I can't remember if the Grand Slam's one of them. I, you're gonna make me check it now tonight when I get home, though. So yeah. that's that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go check. I'm gonna go scan all the, you know, the labels <laughs> oh. and see if my first career Grand Slam is in there. I think it's, it might be my only Grand Slam to be honest with you. I don't think I I, I hit more than one in the big leagues, but uh, um, yeah. 
the, the I, ones I know I have, I have my first hit. I have my first homer. So those okay. were Definitely good enough on, for me. You know? They're definitely on the mantelpiece somewhere. Yeah. 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 Very good. I was going to say, are they on display or have you got them just in a box somewhere? No, I have. I So ironically, my wife was very adamant about me having a man cave or well, I was about when we bought our house, but she was very good about like helping me set it all up. And I ironically enough, just cleaned my whole man cave and just made sure everything i actually put my my blue jays postseason jersey in a in a shadow box i did a i did a bunch of stuff so now i'm like i'm actually disappointed i'm not doing this from home so you guys don't get to see any of it so yeah uh, we'll have to do it again yeah. oh we can yeah. superimpose it on the back somehow yeah you got it yeah <laughs> so in 2015 or the end of 2014 you were picked up by the jays claimed off waivers what was that like then moving? Obviously, you've been in an independent ball, but moving organization, was that, were you excited moving there or was it just like, right, we'll see how this works out? Or Yeah, super excited. I think, again, as much as like I, again, I'm thankful to the twins for the opportunity, but uh, I was, it never felt like it was, it was home, right? I, I felt like an outsider kind of who, uh, I was the indie ball guy in Minnesota. Let's put it that way. And I, I knew a lot of people in Toronto. Like I knew Gogo, I knew Pilar. Um, I was pretty close to those guys. Donaldson was like, had hit with me before cause he was a Tewksbury guy too. So it, it felt like kind of right. Um, and besides that, you know, if you look at, and I said this, I think in the post after the postseason run, I was doing an interview and I was telling people like in Toronto, like we were allowed to be ourselves. Like you had guys like Edwin and Hosey and Josh and RA and like a bunch of guys who really didn't have the most linear path to the big leagues. Like, even though they, they all became stars, like they weren't, you know, they weren't like, Hey, they got there and everything was hunky dory. Like they all had their own battle. So the beauty was we were all just kind of allowed to be ourselves, which was great. Um, and I remember taking this like big, deep breath when it happened. I, I remember getting the call from the GM of the, the twins and, um, I was coming off a thumb injury too, which not too many people actually knew about, but, um, it was, it was just such a blessing and I, and I'll forever be a blue Jay. I tell people that all the time. I'm, yes. I am a blue Jay through and through. Yeah. Like yes. I just love yes. Toronto, everything about it. And, you know, um, yeah, it was uh, it was awesome. I, I literally remember that feeling. Like it felt like two kettlebells fell off my shoulders when uh, when I got mm. that call because I just I needed a I needed a new environment, new scenery, and it, I could not have asked for a better place to go. Uh, okay. uh, we would totally agree with that, of course. Um, we, we, we are, <laughs> yeah. We're biased here. We're all yeah, biased. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, biased, yeah. totally. Uh, we had the pleasure. I had the pleasure of speaking to Gibby last week. Uh, we had him on. Uh, so that was entertaining. What was How that? How did you guys even understand anything he said? Because Gibby well, speaks like his own dialect. He, he, yeah. Gibby's my favorite. He'd come to the mountain. He'd be like, yeah. I was like, what, yeah. get, what you, you sound like the guy from the Waterboy, Gib. I don't yeah. understand anything <laughs> you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he kept saying about uh, having us having the sort of mother tongue and the motherland and, you know, all this sort of stuff. So I, I think he loved it. I think he really enjoyed Gibby, it. Gibby's the man. I love him. Gosh, even he was so awesome. What an yeah. unbelievable manager yeah. to play for. Yeah, I was going to say, what what was your impressions of, of coming to the Jays and him being in the helm uh, and playing for him? What was that like? Playing for Gibby was unbelievable. He... Uh, everything that a player could want as a, as a manager, right. He, uh, 
as much as he had his that like country southern twang, like when he it came time to have serious moments, like he was just so awesome, right? Mm-hmm. And the two things that really stand out for me were um, one was when they sent me down at spring training. I walked in, I said to him and Alex, I, I, I said, listen, I know you guys have been talking about chemistry and culture a lot around here. Um, I commend you guys on the group of guys that you brought in because it's really, uh, you, you've done what you set out to do. And I said, I don't know how many games the team's going to win, but we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. And they said, you know, that's great. You know, and Gibby right away was like, we see you being a part of this. You're going to be up pretty quick. Just do your thing in AAA. And I said, good, because when I get there, I'm not, and leaving and I cursed I may or may not have cursed I just <laughs> cut it out um but uh you know he was like that's awesome I can't wait to see you and um so that was the first thing like he he get, he reassured me that I was in their plans and then the second one was way more impactful it was my second game I'd gotten called up for the Yankees series in, at right at the beginning of May and uh my first game I had a couple of hits and I'm playing the next night and I am three for three uh, going into my last at bat in the eighth inning, and we're winning like I want to say the score was like six to two. Um, and I, I go over to the helmet rack to get my my stuff, my shin guard, my my helmet, my bat. And uh, he turns to me like the inning had started yet, and he goes, "Hey, stay greedy right here, kid." <laughs> and I just kind of turned and looked at him, and I, I first of all, like, and, and it meant so much to me because number one, like, why does John Gibbons care? if I get my fourth hit or not, like we're going to win the game pretty much. It's, it's pretty much over. But even the fact that he knew I was three for three and it would be a situation where I could very easily give it up out away and not think twice of it. And it meant so much to me because then I went out on deck and I was taking that at bat as much for him as I was for myself. And um, that's the kind of guy he is and was, and uh, I love him forever. Um, thankful to have him. And I, I actually, I need to catch up with him, so I'm going to give him a call. I got to see DeMarlo Hale and uh, talk to Tim Leeper recently, so Great. Um, I want to stay in touch with all those guys. Yeah, and of course, he's uh, taking social media by storm at the moment. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Just unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Who, whoever just, thought? Uh, well, I, I think, you know, like, it's funny. I saw, like, Roger Clemens and Pudge Rodriguez got on social media, like, six months ago, eight months ago, maybe, so maybe mm. he hired the same guy. I don't I don't. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know whether wait, i think his daughter's helping him out to be fair um for what yeah, he's telling I, me I'm, I'm willing to bet gibby has no idea what a tweet is and <laughs> I'm, I'm, if i had to guess he probably calls it a twitter if i if like <laughs> he's like oh i gotta send a twitter <laughs> beautiful he's beautiful i love him okay so 2015 obviously at the deadline the the jays went all in um, did you did the team have any sort of knowledge of that it was coming, or they were going to try and go for these guys, or did anything was it just sprung on you as much as us? Well, I I think it was time, right? Like I think it, everybody could kind of sense it that year. Um, they hadn't gone for it the year before when I wasn't there when they had a chance, and I know it was like a topic of conversation at times. Um, but you could tell something special was kind of brewing. Um, even though we were seven games back at the, at the break uh, or at the deadline, sorry. Um, we knew we had the Yankees a bunch. We knew we handled the Yankees pretty well. Um, and it, it was ours to take. Like it was, it was a, 
it was palpable in the clubhouse every day. Like we knew we were going to just go beat people's doors off. Like it didn't, it didn't matter that we were seven games back and we knew if we were a couple pieces away, um, obviously like I, I, the first one that they came in was the trade for Tulo and uh, no offense to Jose Reyes. I love Jose Reyes. He was a great teammate. Uh, I think a, a, a wonderful player, obviously very accomplished, but by getting too low, like you just solidified your middle infield, right? Cause now you're looking at just as good of an offensive player, if not better than, than Jose, um, which is kind of a, a disservice to him. Cause he was obviously wonderful in his role. Um, but he had, he had scuffled a little bit defensively. And when you go get too low, you're talking about, a, you know, the ball gets hit the shortstop, it's an automatic out. So that was obviously a sign to us that we were, you know, we were in, we were all in. And then, um, you know, the rumors swirled around price, uh, the whole time. And, uh, even, and that's, don't discount the fact that we got Latroy, who was such a wonderful leader in the Tulo trade and just a great guy to have around, had experience, everything like, um, and then Mark Lowe price and Ben Revere just kind of were mm. like all icing on the cake and, and price being the kind of, you know, the, the sexier of the, of the pieces, cause he was the best pitcher in baseball at the time. So, sure. um, you know, I, Osuna and I were doing a, an autograph signing the morning we got him and people kept coming up to us. Or they're like, we're going to get him. We're going to get him. I'm like, ah, it's above yeah. my pay grade. Like, I don't, I, your guess is as good as mine. And then him and I walked in the clubhouse together because we came from uh, Yonge Street Mall and we walked in and they were clearing out his locker. And, you know, for the guys that were th- that were there, we kind of just looked at each other and we're like, it's on, boys. You know, yeah. it's on. I was just going to say, as part of that, then like on the flip side, you obviously all these guys come in and they had to clear roster space and like Danny Valencia was having a great season and they had to let him go. How How strange was that feeling? Yeah, the irony was that like when we when we got Revere, I thought it was me because I had an option left. So like, I <laughs> I kind of went up to Danny and the night before Ben showed up, and I was like, and you, you know, you look around, you do the math, you're like, so like I'm definitely getting sent down tomorrow. And and he's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, it'll be Carrera or it'll be, and I was like, well, Carrera already has to go with the, you know, with uh, the Latroy and and Mark Lowe thing. And uh, then, you know, Price is another one. And, and we knew a pitcher was going to go down. But then it just the math on it, position player, when we got Revy, I was like, it's me. And he's and Danny kind of looks and he's like, yep, it's you. And I was like, ah, that sucks. Um, but, you know, it would have been, I think, relatively short had I gone down. But, uh, you know, I, Danny was obviously having a great year. I've known him for a long time. I just talked to him while I was over in Europe. And um, I – you know, I think I probably just, I don't know, a little bit more fit into the, the kind of the culture we had and the chemistry. Like I, it helps that I speak Spanish and was close with a lot of Latin guys. And um, yeah, I, I was blessed and fortunate that they made the decisions they did. I had a chance to talk to, to Alex about it later on after, after the season at the Boston baseball writers dinner. And I thanked them and Tony LaCava and the rest of the front office. And I said, I, I can only imagine how difficult it was. And, um, you know, I, again, it's, it speaks volumes of the, the gentlemen that I mentioned, Gibby, DeMarlo, Tim Leeper, Louis Rivera, all the front office guys that I, I built really strong relationships with. So, um, yeah. blessed and fortunate. 
Yeah, it was a, it was a great, great setup and uh, lots of great memories. Obviously, going through 2015, we, we come to what is probably one of the most iconic games in baseball, um, which you were part of. Uh, how extraordinary event was that game five for you? Ah, uh, I mean, indescribable scale of one to 10, like a 483 or something like that. Um, <laughs> it's I, literally, I, I mean, like talk about like the perfect storm of events, right? You go down to nothing. Um, the, even the build up to it, right? Like we went down and I, you, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the story, but we're down to nothing. We're flying to Texas and, you know, we have a workout day and, and Batista closes all the doors and he's like, Hey, we're having a meeting. And I was like, okay. And we never had meetings. Right. Um, and all of a sudden Kawasaki gets up in front of the room and does a whole speech in Japanese. Like <laughs> yeah. n- nobody understood a freaking word. <laughs> and we were like laughing. We're just dying. It was unbelievable. And like, oh, like wait, what? <laughs> this is awesome. But that was kind of who we were. That was our persona. Like we, we weren't very intimidated by anything. Um, we knew that we had enough firepower to get it done. Like the challenge when you get down to, you know, a, a, a deciding game for the other team is you got to be perfect. Right. And yeah. um, you don't, you just leave yourself much less margin for error. And I think um, we felt pretty good about, you know, what we had for matchups. Like we knew Marco uh, had been really, really good that second half that year. Um, so the key was winning the first one. And then like, if you look through that whole game, game three was like, we had traffic on the bases. I think we, we grounded into like six double plays with the last of which was mine when I, I was hit with the bases loaded and I had like a 10 or 11 pitch at bat and I hit an absolute rocket and Mitch Moreland was playing like second base basically instead of first. And it was right at him and he turned a double play and it was like kind of deflating, but we were ahead in the game already. We were up to nothing and it felt like it should have been 10 to nothing. And then um, Tulo hit the big three run homer. And that was kind of like the, okay, let go moment. Um, you know, we, we knew we were going to match up well against Holland the next day. We just, obviously, if we were going to get the, if we could get the lead, we knew we were in good shape. Um, and we did. And then we had David in the bullpen too. Um, and you get to game five and then anything could happen. So, the the whole lead up with the inning and the whole game it was just I've never played in a game that was so it just felt like you were so engaged in every pitch right like it like there I've never been that emotionally vested in a baseball game and uh the crowd the moment the the ball before the three errors the two play like all of it was just it's like you can't even make it up you know it was uh it was pretty incredible. And then to have Jose be the guy, like, and I say this truthfully when I tell people, I'm like, I would have rather he hit the Homer than me hit the Homer just because he epitomized everything that was blue Jays baseball. And he, he was the blue Jays, right? Like that was, it was his moment. And it's amazing that, you know, when you start thinking about fate and the stars aligning, like that's the type type of stuff you think about. So. Yeah. I mean, I think whoever watched that game, uh, and f- obviously for guys like us, it was 2.30 in the morning or something uh, when all that started unfolding. And uh, I-, I was watching it with my eldest daughter that evening uh, or that night. And, uh, you know, when Russell threw the ball back and that whole crazy play and the debate and, and all the stuff. And I sort of reflected on it a little bit afterwards now, because also we had the commentary 
from the TV broadcasters. But of course, you know, the guys, the crowd in the stadium, of course, are not getting any of that dialogue in terms of chewing over, is the ball live? Is it not live? You know, what's happening? And it was getting pretty intense in there. I mean, did you did you ever sense hmm, we might even be taken off the field of play at any point during that whole episode? Yeah, so I have a couple, like, quirky things uh, that happen. And I'm definitely going to curse. You can edit it out if you want. I think it <laughs> makes the story better. So the first thing was, like, from my vantage point, it, it looked like like Chu was blocking me because I was at first, right? And so when I saw the ball trickling out to third, I assumed that Russell had got kind of gone to throw it. And then he, like, stopped because he saw his hands. And then the ball just came out. So I was like, oh, shit, no. But then I saw – Dale Scott come out right away and like wave his hands to blow the play dead. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, like what this happened, but thank God it's not going to be the run that decides the division series. And, uh, and at that point, like I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. And I I think it became clear to me at one point that the ball hit the bat. So now Bannister comes out to argue and I'm thinking to myself the whole time, like, this fucking guy's really going to argue this call? Like, geez, like, come on, dude. Like, you don't want that to – like, even if you're on the other team, you don't want that to be the the run to win the game. You're like, like let us earn it. Uh, and maybe that's just bias, like, me being a, you know, Blue Jay and him being on the other side with 50,000, 60,000 <laughs> screaming fans ready to kill him. But whatever. Um, so – so now, like, they change the call, and I see him do this little fist pump. And, I, again, I'm like, you fucking asshole. Like, Jesus. I'm just, like, cursing under my breath. And Gibby comes out, loses his mind. And at that point, like, the infielders kind of congregate in the middle. Stuff starts flying on the field. And you're sitting there going, like, yeah, there's a pretty good chance somebody's going to get hit with something or, like, they're going to pull us off the field. And now mm. Tulo was absolutely – screaming at Marvin Hudson like Marvin bullshit like screaming and I can't find Donaldson anywhere like I I have no idea where Donaldson is and I'm like did Donaldson get ejected I'm like like I gotta stop this like if Donaldson got ejected too like and we're gonna lose too low too like this can't happen right Mm. so I I stopped too low for a second and he was just going ham and I look at Marvin Hudson I go Marvin and just in the softest, in this demeanor, I was like, Marvin, I don't know if you know this, but you're going to get murdered when you leave the stadium tonight. And he's like, <laughs> and he goes, like, he goes, wouldn't be the first time, Chris. And I go, <laughs> Marvin, like, I don't think you understand. They're actually going to fucking slit your throat. And he, I was like, they're going to kill you. And he was like a little bit scared at that point. And I think it deflected from Tulo, like, just still yelling and thankfully nobody got thrown out donaldson i think just went to the bathroom or something like he was in the dugout and i found him later and i was like well he didn't get ejected but um yeah it was pretty intense like i I don't think we ever felt in danger um most of the stuff was coming on the sides and we had kind of all got in the middle um fifth deck like you'd have to have a a bazooka to hit us in the middle infield so like uh, that would be a good throw yeah, yeah. I, I was more scared for the people in the stands because obviously, like, sure. it's really high in Rogers Center. But yeah, um, certainly, again, and like that just goes to show you how, like, the guy in the last row of the stadium was emotionally charged. So imagine what it was like down yeah. on the field. You know, uh, yeah, it was incredible scenes. And of course, there was the slight confusion with Edwin in terms of trying to calm down everybody, and that just seemed to, you know, 
add to the moment and Look, yeah. I gotta I gotta put my two cents in here. I Go don't think the I don't think Dyson actually even knew what Edwin was doing. Like people like Harold and and Verducci were talking about it on the broadcast and they were like, oh he thinks he's showing him up. Dyson's a weird cat. Don't don't tell anybody I said that. Like this dude <laughs> he's strange. And like there were like a lot of probably like a lot of things going through his body. And I like you know, he just gave up like a pretty big homer, obviously, like not knowing what to do. And I think he just wanted to say something about Batista's bat flip. Like there was no part of me that actually believed that he thought Edwin was trying to rile a crowd up or that mm. he was even paying attention to what Edwin was doing. So like, I don't think it was confusion. I think it was like a weird cat who was really pissed off and like wanted to get a word in and yeah. he chose to do it with Edwin because Edwin was like, and it was so, you know, like, <laughs> and, uh, you could tell, like, yeah, there was no, there, nobody was thinking like Edwin's trying to rile everybody up, like throw more shit. Let's go. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. It's great, great acting, by the way. And if you're just listening to the audio, you need to watch the YouTube clip of Chris. I'm just, you know, I'm, I, I have a face for radio, but a mannerisms <laughs> for TV. Yes. Totally. See, see when all this was happening. So <clears throat> all that's happening. And then, at the bottom of the inning, when you guys are batting and these errors start happening, what at what point is there a, like was there a flick, a, a switch flicked in your mind that you suddenly think we're going to do this here? Yeah, like the first one, the first one, you're just like, okay, there's life, right? Like you, you know, with a runner on first, nobody out. You're not like nothing like out of the ordinary happened. Now, when Moreland choked the second one. I was like, oh boy, it's on. And I, if you watch the, you, I, my favorite thing to watch is dugout reactions and crowd reactions after plays. And I, I've gone, I've probably watched the game a, a hundred thousand times already in my life. So I could name everything that everybody's doing at any given moment, including the fans in the stands that are like hugging, ah, like after the Homer. Um, but I, after the second one, when Moreland choked the throw is when I started slamming the railing. Cause I, I used to sit on the, the Gatorade coolers in the middle, like before I had to get ready to hit. And that was when you're like, okay, now we got first and second. We're probably going to bond with go-go. And I just kept saying like, they're going to put the wheel on, which nobody ever does in the big leagues until it matters. Right. So I was like, go-go, just don't bunt it too hard. Cause Adrian Beltre like could be playing left-handed and they'll get the out at third. Right. Cause that's how good a third baseman he is. And when Andrews dropped that ball, I was like, oh, my God, this is meant to be. Like, right? Like, it was like the baseball gods didn't want us to lose the game, so they gave us this opportunity. And now you still have to go execute, right? And, um, you know, Revy hit into the force out. Uh, Pompey made the great slide at home. And I think the moment that I really, like, was mad at Bannister was when he came to argue that one because I was, like, mad at him already once i was like dude you're gonna argue about that play and now you're gonna argue about this play like go sit down man like let us play the game and stop trying to like beg for outs mm -hmm. um and all i was thinking to myself was i, I really really hope donaldson doesn't hit into a double play because <laughs> the sinker baller was a way better matchup for for hosey and like hose and i had talked about dyson two or three nights before like this hosey loves sinker ballers it could be 133 miles an hour it doesn't matter where Josh like really wants more like four seam out over the plate type guys. Um, so I'm just like, Josh, just don't ground in a double play. And then obviously he hits like a chicken nugget or whatever. Like I, I call it a chicken nugget because he like got sawed off on a two Oh fastball. Like that's how, like how much Dyson's ball ran. And it just, 
like they were playing infield in, which even that was weird because I thought they should have been halfway in the middle and the ball falls and then he catches it on one hop and gets the force out at second street. Mm-hmm. Like, like how did the, like what, how are we first and third with the run in here? Like I, it was so strange. Uh, Cause there's no scenario in which that ball falls and it's usually not like everybody advances. Right. So for them to get an out on that play was weird. But at that moment, you're like, at least we're tied, you know, um, at least we like the runs back. So no matter what happens, like it's like no harm, no foul from the inning before. And then, uh, you know, I saw Jose's first swing and I was like, he's on him, dude. Like he's got him. And I was like in the dugout, like, oh my God, he's going to hit something really hard. He's going to hit it hard. And then, uh, yeah, he hit something hard. He did it. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And everybody's watching the ball, not the bat. Yeah. I So, because I knew what was going to happen. I didn't know he was going to hit a homer, but like I watched the ball for a second just to make sure, and then I turned right back to him, and I was standing there with my hands up in the air. Everything else I did was awkward. The only thing I knew to do was turn <laughs> to look at him to see his reaction. <laughs> And I was standing there, and I was like, oh, my God, he just threw the bat into orbit. But nobody cares. We really have, oh, my God. Yeah. It was. Strowman, ex- Strowman dunked on me. Go watch the – Strowman, <laughs> like, literally – Price was, like, banging on my helmet. And then Strowman, Strowman dunked on me first, and then Price was, like, hitting my helmet. And I was like, man, after the game, I had two things wrong with me. My neck was hurting, and, and also my hip was hurting. And just I'm going to sell myself down the river here. I fell twice in that game. One was in my at-bat. I had an at-bat against Hamels in, like, the fifth inning. I, I was sitting change-up, and he threw me a fastball. And I took what looked like a really hard swing, but it was just because I was thought I was swinging at a change-up, and I swung at a fastball. And I fell, and I was like, oh, oh it's on my Instagram. You can watch it. And then the second one, the second one was when I was coming out of the dugout because I came out in the ninth or eighth inning or whatever it was after, after I got the most innocuous, meaningless hit of my career. Like, I, I – Edwin hit the little slow roller out to third base, and then I hit a base hit, and I was like, "Yeah, my second hit," but nobody cares because Jose <laughs> just hit a ball yeah. to Guam, and it's the only thing that matters. And like, yeah, I was surprised people even were cheering. I was like, "Oh, yeah. boo, a single!" Like, wow, yeah. that's terrible. <laughs> man, it's uh, it's certainly the most intense sporting moment I think I've ever watched, and you know, there's been some great things over the years that we've watched in all sorts of sports, but. It's certainly the thing, uh, particularly obviously as a Jays fan, uh, I look back in terms of my watching history. I, I first came and saw the Jays in 94, so I just missed out on the two World Series. Um, so thank you so much for playing a part in what was a memorable night for so many fans. That's awesome. It was an honor, man. Like I, I'm blessed, grateful, thankful. It was, uh, it was so cool. I just, I, in retrospect, like, Looking back on it, I just wish we had completed it because we mm. we knew we knew. I, I think it's hard to say this, right? Like, and you don't want to sound like kind of the asshole that is like, "Oh yeah, we were the better team that lost to Kansas City." But like, we knew whoever was going to win that series. And I, ironically enough, I was just with Jeremy Guthrie at the thing that I did mm. in Germany, and I, like he, I had him sign a ball for me because I, I have like six spots in my like little baseball case. And uh, he signed it 2015 AL champs, which like really dude, like really, like you're going to put that there, just stab twist. Right. Um, but they, they were so pesky. And like, honestly, th- there was so much emotion in that first series that it, it almost, 
it felt like we kind of like took a deep breath for the first two games of the next series. And this is what playoff experience I think does for teams like them having been there the year before they knew they like couldn't come off the gas, especially after they got the break to beat Houston. Um, and kudos to them for that. Like, I think Alcides Escobar went like nine for four in that whole series. Like he had a billion hits. Like it was incredible. Like uh, he just, he didn't miss the barrel. And I, at one point I was like, can we just mix in like a ball off the backstop for the first pitch of the game so that he doesn't hit a triple? Um, but yeah, they, they, you know, it would have been magical to like kind of finish it. And I think it, I, when you think about fate and like those moments, you're like, man, you're, we're supposed to win that next series. We just forgot. Like, I think, uh, but kudos to them. They, they earned mm. it. And I think they, they didn't take it. They didn't hesitate, you know, and, you know, play here, the the ball falling in the game two that, yeah, it's, it kind of sucks. That would have been the only thing that could have made it better, but I'm again, still super yeah. thankful that I got to experience it, you know? Yeah. It was that, amazing. Uh, that fan that reached in from right field and grabbed that ball, turned a double into a home run. He still haunts my dreams every night. Yeah. What an asshole, huh? Like him and <laughs> Jeffrey Mayer, like, uh, yeah. I, I, and I, the, the funny thing is like, I think it was Laz Diaz was the umpire. And I was like, I was like, Laz, what are you looking at? Like, he just definitely reached over. And then they went to re- the replay and it was like, oh, yeah. It was, yeah. I was like, what am I watching that nobody else is seeing? You know? And not to say that that play makes the difference. Like, it, you know, yeah. they, they, they just, that team didn't stop. Like, Kansas City just, did, they didn't have any stop. And I'll take you one further. We went to the last day of the regular season with a chance to get home field advantage. And uh, one of the things I love about Gibby is his loyalty and the things he does for players. And I wouldn't do this any differently, but we tried to get Burles to 200 innings and we ended up losing uh, the last game of the regular season where we could have had home field. And I think that, you know, if you knew you were going to play Kansas City, like probably the toughest place to play out of all of them, like Houston, you don't mind. Texas, you don't mind even Yankee stadium, like it, it's open and like Kansas city is just so loud. And they were the team that was, I think the most primed to take advantage of that situation because mm-hmm. of having played in the last game the year before. So you wish you could go back to game 162 and figure out a way to win it so that you could have yeah. had home field. But uh, I, I, when you say you've had nightmares and you've thought about a lot of stuff, like <laughs> I may or may not have, like thought about every scenario possible so. <laughs> yeah um so then moving on from 2015 obviously 2016 wasn't wasn't quite going to plan so yeah as far I as i understand that it sucked yeah yeah so you come into spring training early do your routine drugs test and i'm assuming then you're assuming everything's fine and then how long does that take for that to come back and what like who t- who tells you your results yeah and everything? so I- like literally drug tests for me were like a Tuesday at the office. Like I didn't, I never thought twice about them. I, they were not they, like, they were non-factors in my life. Cause I knew I was out of anybody. And you, you know, you can ask guys that I talked about with this. I Pilar and I had had ugh, hundreds of conversations about this stuff. Like you, you always like worry when you, when you do a P test, but like at the, the end of the day, like I knew I wasn't putting anything in my body, but, because I knew the rules and how stringent they were toward like what in the event that something does show up on your test, like I was so careful. Like I'm telling you, like 
I had trouble like even buying a grocery that like I had never had before. I was like, ah, like at the, at the players association meetings that winter, I raised my hand in the drug meeting and I was like, Hey, are we allowed to eat protein Cheerios? And everybody in the room kind of laughed at me and Curtis Granderson and I then ended up talking about it for like two and a half hours. Cause I was like, as an athlete, like they tell you to be responsible. And I, anybody that talks to me for more than five minutes, I think realizes that I'm not stupid and that I care a lot about my career and my reputation, my integrity, my character. So, um, yeah, I went in the drug test and just didn't think twice about it. was just ready to go and have a big camp and build off of what I had done the year before. Um, and then like, it was probably, I want to say like three weeks later, I think it was three and a half weeks to the day. Um, cause I did the drug test on like February 12th or something like that. Pitchers and catchers. Um, and I got a call and I guess it was maybe a full month. Um, March, March 11th was the day that I found out. And, um, I was telling this story a couple of days ago. It was the first time in my major league career that I left the stadium before the game ended. So I wasn't playing that day. And obviously like, I know I'm going to make the team this year. So I'm only playing the front end of games. And if I'm not playing, I just get to leave, but I still like, I didn't know how to leave. Like it was just not a thing that I did. Um, so I would always stay and like work out and watch the game a little bit or whatever. And, uh, I went to lunch with my agent. So we, we, uh, something that most people don't really know. We were talking about an extension with the team. Like I was, I was full send. I want to be a blue Jay for life. Um, I will take a hometown discount or whatever. Not that a 31 year old independent ball player should be thinking about discounts. Cause any, any guaranteed money that I could have made in my career would have been um, spectacular, but certainly had I played that year out and done, had a similar year and gone to arbitration, I would have made some decent money, but I wanted, I told my agent, I said, look, ask them if they'll do an extension, something like in the neighborhood of three and eight, four and 11, something like that. And just buy out my arb years. Cause I, I want to stay. Um, so we were at lunch talking about the meeting that he had that morning. And I ordered like one of everything on the menu. Cause why not? Um, and uh, I was excited to hear what he had to say. And I literally had just ordered like five appetizers and it was just me and my agent. And I, I get this phone call from New York and um, I answered the phone in a weird voice because I didn't recognize the number and I never like answer phone numbers that I don't recognize. And I was like, yes, hello. And uh, it happened to be Bob Lenahan from the Players Association. And he, you know, he told me I had tested positive for a steroid. And I, I thought he was joking. Like I thought it was like an April Fool's joke. Um, and I handed the phone to my agent and I said, dude, he's like, what? And we literally like I, all the food I had just ordered, we didn't eat any of it. Um, I, I literally walked outside. We were like, I was like pacing in the parking lot. I was like, this is impossible. Like, what are we talking about? And now like my agent is standing there like, like, what did you do? And I'm like, dude, I didn't take anything. Like I didn't, I swear to you, the only stuff I took was for my team. And I, it, even that took convincing, right? Like even convincing my agent. Cause like, like who's ever tested positive before that hasn't done it. Or like, you know, you hear the standard company line. It's like, ah, I didn't do it. Like, so I, you know, we start going into the research of the, the drug and obviously like I'm devastated. Like I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can't see straight. Never mind any play baseball. 
And I'm like literally like doing all the research I can on this drug, this metabolite. I'm learning entirely too much about analytical chemistry at the time. And, um, I, you know, the next five and a half weeks until when I got suspended were just miserable. Um, I couldn't really tell anybody on the team. And finally, I, I had to start telling some guys because I'm a hard on my sleeve guy and everybody could tell something was wrong. I, I basically like couldn't hit anymore. Um, and, uh, this all leads up to me meeting with Tony Clark. And I said to Tony, like, right, like three days before I got suspended, I was like, Tony, I'm going to tell you two really important things. I said, number one, if this can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. I said, number two, I don't know how to stop this from happening again. Like, I have no idea how to make it not happen the next time. Like, meaning still don't have any idea where it came from. And over the last seven years, basically, both things that I said to Tony pretty much played it, played themselves out. 23 guys have been suspended for the same thing. Um, to a man, they've all thrown their hands up in the air and have no idea where it came from. Um, many of those players have tested positive anywhere from one to 30, 50, 80 times for the same thing. Um, basically, they're, they're testing profiles have broken the research that was available from what created this test. Uh, and because of that, uh, leagues like the UFC, NASCAR, um, if you read Ken Rosenthal's article, um, and now MLB have fundamentally like changed their policy on what, uh, like what this test would represent. So, um, UFC is no longer sanctioning players uh, or athletes. Um, NASCAR removed a sanction from a player that, or a, a pit crew member that had one. Um, yeah, it, it just was shitty. Let's put it that way. And so you've obviously been fighting that and stuff and helping these other players. I've seen you talking about that before now. Does that feel like a moral victory now that they've removed that? Or is it just uh, <laughs> really bitter in your mind? Yeah, I mean, look, I, it's it's never it'll never go away right like it'll never i'll never not think of what if and what should have happened and like more than anything else like the thing that sucks is i didn't get to play like i i all i ever want to do is play i told my dad when i was three i said i'm i want to play like i love baseball like i love it i love the chess match i love hitting i love having a bat in my hand. I'm, I'm a better hitter today than I've ever been in my life. I still take at bats with college guys and pro guys. And like, I, I'm more equipped to be a good hitter now because I've built more armor to the emotional stuff, to the mental stuff than I ever have had in my life. Um, <clears throat> physically I'm in the best shape I've ever been in. Cause my wife's making me eat like Turkey burgers and green beans and shit like that. So, uh, she's doing like bikini contests. So now I'm, I'm like actually an athlete, which is crazy. Cause when I played, I just ate Buffalo chicken and whatever else was in front of me. Um, so that's the part that sucks. Like from the standpoint of like, I I've always wanted to be somebody that helped. Like I, I always wanted to help the next guy I, paying it forward to the next generation has been something that's meant a lot to me. And I think honestly, like it's the thing that keeps me going. Like I have a bunch of college guys that are in my like little circle and, um, I had people that did it for me and I want to do that for them. It's where I find joy. It's selfish. Cause like I find joy in, in helping people. Um, so like 
does it make me feel better? Um, no, not not like when it comes out. It's like, oh, like it is, are you, you feel vindicated? No, like the only thing that would make me feel vindicated is if we could go back in time and I could go play. And that was something that I, I, I said to them before. And not to mention, like I can tell as many of these stories as I want and the rules can change as much as they want or people can fix it as much as they want. And there's still people that are going to call me a cheater and say that I'm an asshole. So like once that got put in full front row and center, unless you pay attention after, like I'm, you know, these people think I'm a cheater. And like, because of that, it's taken away opportunities outside of baseball, like whether it be in media or whatever. And um, not to mention, like, I, like I could have had a nice career and still be playing for this point. And I think I'm not because of it. Um, you know, 38, they tell me 38 is the new 25. So, you know, um, no, nah, but I mean, honestly, like, I'm more at peace with it. Like I, I saw the quote that I usually reference is uh, if you watch the 30, 30 for 30 on the Duke lacrosse kids, one of they asked one of the parents or said, you know, is, is the wound healed? And, and the parent said a great line, the wound is healed, but the scar is still there. Like the scar will never go away. So, um, you know, I, I feel I, I'm not in depression in clinical depression. Like I used to be, like I went into clinical depression. I had to go see a psychiatrist. I had to deal with, you know, depression, anxiety for like a year and a half. Um, not that it like overtook my life or it, you know, I was ever borderline suicidal, but it was, it was tough to deal with because what, what happened for me was everything that I had always loved, like the game that I loved my whole life, the thing that was my escape from reality now became the thing that reminded me of everything that was bad in my life. So um, yeah, that part sucked, but I've, I've gotten past that part of it. Um, so, I mean, you know, people say things happen for a reason. I still don't know what the reason is, but, uh, I would, I would have loved to have continued to play and continued to make an impact on the game. And I think I had a lot left to offer. I think offensively, I was just really establishing that I was one of the better hitters in the American league and something that I believed my whole life. So, um, mm. yeah, that's the part that sucks. Yeah difficult memory certainly and I, I do remember you doing the interview with jamie campbell um i in i can't how, how soon after the whole event sort of unfolded and uh just remind remembering how much of a painful watch that was just watching you in terms of having to come to terms with that news and and at that point yeah. in time i guess you just were still unraveling you know so bad i was letting it all out yeah. yeah the production the production team in the room I, Jamie had asked me, he's like, you know, we'll probably do two five minute segments. I said, it's not long enough when I tell you all the stuff that I have to tell you. And I picked Jamie specifically because Jamie, Jamie had gone on an appearance or multiple appearances with me in that, that off season. And Jamie saw how diligent I was like one time it was me, him and Pilar. And I wouldn't let Kevin get the protein powder at like a random smoothie shop. And uh, I'll never forget, like, Jamie and Kevin sat and asked me how serious I was taking that. And I was like – and part of that was – and I had built a friendship with Jamie. And uh, I knew I could trust him, right? And I'm still close with him to this day. But I remember after the interview, we sat in the room for, like, I don't know, two hours probably. And uh, when I got done, the production team said to me, like, either you took acting classes or you're telling the truth. And I was like, well, uh, I haven't had time for acting class in my life. So um, – you know, it was hard. It was, it was, uh, you know, I, like, and then you read shit online where people are like, Oh, those are fake tears. I was like, yeah, 
that's that's what they were they were fake yeah they were <laughs> clearly and i think that's the part like that i've gotten over is like not reading into some idiot from iowa that doesn't know me from adam like making some jackass comment that those those stung for a long time because no matter how much no matter how much positive people are saying you only notice the negative comments right like my my wife had to stop posting on our dog's Instagram page and I have the most handsome dog ever. Like clutch is spectacularly handsome and the world needs to see more of clutch, but she stopped posting on his Instagram because people were writing stuff like, you know, cheater or whatever, and just doing people things, you know, mm. Chris, uh, we really appreciate your time. Um, we said 45 minutes and I think we've just gone over an hour uh, well, so, it's my fault. The technical difficulties really put well, a damper on. You know, you know, internet coverage in the states obviously is not quite quite as strong as it should be. Yeah. But, well, yeah, I've learned a lesson: don't drive and podcast at the same yeah, time. Yeah, there's probably something in that. Uh, really do appreciate your time, and and uh, just I know how busy you are traveling backwards and forwards between you know the states and and Europe and so on, and uh, really thrilled to be able to catch up with you and to talk through uh, I, the key moments of your career and uh, you know the good the bad and the ugly uh, but it's always just really insightful to hear it from from the person rather than hearing it from you know as we do as fans from multiple sources so we really appreciate your honesty and openness with us it was a pleasure and i continued success and and thank you for doing what you guys do especially in the uk and uh being uh being jay's fans man that's awesome i'm i'm super uh I'm I'm humbled and honored every time somebody asks me to do these things and happy to to storytell. I I, you, I don't know if you noticed, but I like talking. So yeah, yeah, I I had heard that about you. Yeah, I have a tendency <laughs> to. It's brilliant. No, we love that. We love the stories, and and I think it brings, you know, it brings to life what we watch as fans in terms of particularly, obviously, looking back over the sort of 2015 year, particularly. Uh, and you know, we're watching it in, but to hear it from your side of the fence and understanding what the dynamic is and it's the it's the stuff you know we wouldn't normally get access to uh and i think you, you the know, kawasaki you... japanese meeting like that totally you yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely how is the japanese oh shit just, i'm i'm working on mine he taught me how to say one two three four five each nissan she Go. okay so okay I'm one two three four five so i'm, I'm trying to become quadlingual yeah so 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 what's in the bank you obviously english Italian, Spanish, you said, yeah. and, and Japanese yeah. number four, is it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very, I'm very non-conversational and at like fourteen words, but I, we can count that, right? Like, if sure, yeah. I, I would never understand anything beyond each Nissan Shigo and <laughs> Arigato gozaimasu. <laughs> I'm we still loved trying it. to work on my English. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you guys have great accents. That counts as like ten languages. Like, yeah. awesome. I mean, I'd do anything that if I had a British accent, I'd count that as a new language. So, <laughs> well, we can we you can come over and we can give you some lessons or something like that when you next next over this way. That's the plan. So, Brilliant. I'm coming. Great. All right, Chris, guys. Thanks so much for your time. We'll speak to you soon. You Take care it. now. Thank you. Sounds good. Bye. See you guys. The Red, White and Blue Jays podcast is a production of Blue Jays Fans UK. If you've got a Blue Jays story to share, let us know. Email us at bluejaysfansuk at gmail.com. And follow along on Twitter and Instagram at bluejaysfansuk. 
I'm your announcer, Jim Langton. Thanks for listening.